Well, good morning. Glad to see you here this morning, worshiping with us as we continue our study in the book of First Peter. Um, this has been uh, it's been a great book to work through in advance of the series. Uh, but each week, uh, as we prepare the messages to be brought um, on that particular Sunday, um, you know, God speaks to us daily. Uh, I know as, as I was preparing um, this message and, and the message for next week, um, God was really ministering to me. It is my hope that he ministers to you, that these words encourage you, uh, convict you, and cause you to want to be more like the Lord Jesus. Uh, we don't come here on a Sunday morning merely uh, to be informed to learn, but we come to be transformed. And over these next couple of weeks, we're going to be diving into some scripture um, that ought not be controversial, but it is a little bit. And it's going to challenge us. It's going to challenge our thinking. And hopefully it will reveal to us what God wants us to know about ourselves so that we can be prepared for what he has ahead of us. Because I think that as we proceed in the coming months and years and decades, that the church will once again um, become that force that we read about in the book of Acts. That life-changing, transformative, culture-changing force. Oscar Wilde um, said once that uh, wherever there is a man who exercises authority, there is a man who resists authority. And I think that's very true. Perhaps there is no other word in the English language that evokes um, such diametrically opposed thoughts and feelings than the word authority. Human beings first rejected authority in the garden when Adam and Eve decided to eat of the fruit of the tree that God said, don't eat from. And ever since, man has sought to be his own authority. We have bought Satan's lie that we can be our own God. That we can be the masters or the captains of our own fate. But as history has borne out, that has not turned out so well, has it? One does not have to look very far to be able to see that things don't go so well when people are allowed to do as they please. And perhaps no book um, uh, more than the book of Judges reveals that to us. As you look at the, the book of Judges, you, you find that um, this was the source of, of their problem. It, it, it's a book that gives us a picture that when there is no authority to curb our sinful desires, um, that literally all hell breaks loose. And... The book is summed up with this phrase that in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that's the problem is, is that 
When there is a vacuum of authority, when there is an absence of authority, some other authority will always fill its place. It may be a dictator, but it just may be us living our lives the way that we want to live our lives. And there is no doubt, as you look through history, that when it comes to authority, it can be and has been abused. But authority in and of itself is not evil. For all authority comes from God, which we're going to see this morning. It is his gift to us. And it is an extension of his authority over our lives. I, I love what um, uh, R.C. Sproul said about authority. He said this, the very word authority has within it the word author. An author is someone who creates and possesses a particular work. God is the foundation of all authority because he is the author and the owner of his creation. He is the foundation upon which all other authority stands or falls. So this morning, as God's holy and chosen people, as sojourners and exiles, as God's holy and royal priesthood, we are called to submit to every earthly institution and authority and to follow Christ's example in suffering, in doing good. Now, if you want something a little bit easier to hang your head on this morning, it would be this. We are to submit to all human authority, even when it hurts. Let's pray together. Father, I come before you this morning uh, realizing that the task at hand is, um, is difficult, far too difficult for me to, to do justice to your word. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be our teacher here this morning, that you would just cause the words on these pages um, uh, to penetrate our hearts. Lord, speak to us by your living in an abiding word. And Lord, make us more like Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 25 this morning. And let me say at the outset too, the, the more I have looked into this topic of authority, the bigger it gets the more complex it gets. And there's no way that I can cover everything that the Bible has to say about authority in 40, 45 minutes. Uh, I'm going to do my best here in chapter 3 of, excuse me, chapter 2 of First Peter. So, verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme, or to governors is sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. 
This morning, what I want to do, something a little bit different, is I want to pose three questions this morning and then attempt to answer those questions. So I want to ask, what are we called to do? Why do we do it? And how do we do it? So let's take a look at the first question. What are we called to do? Well, when you look at this text, when you look at verse 13, it's, it's very clear that we are to submit to every human institution or authority. Now, the word in the, the English uh, standard version is be subject to. It's the Greek word hypotasso, and it is an imperative, meaning it's a command. This is not an, something optional for the Christian. We are commanded to be subject to. Literally, it means to place under, to be in submission to, to submit to the orders or directives of someone. It means to obey. And so we are commanded to submit to every human institution. But I want to focus on that other word, and that's the word every. We're to submit to every human authority. Now, I can't possibly tell you what all of those authorities are, because there's a great many of them in the world, but here's just a sampling. It includes kings and presidents, governors, courts, military leaders, police officers, employers, teachers, church elders, husbands, mothers, and fathers. So when Peter says we're to submit to every or all human authority, that's what he has in mind. And the Apostle Paul instructs his readers similarly in Romans chapter 13, um, starting in verse 1. Let's read that together. Paul writes this and he says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now Paul is speaking there primarily of governmental authorities. But the principle remains. There is no authority except from God. It all comes from God. All of it has been appointed by God. And what Paul tells us is that those who are in authority are actually God's servants. Thus, if for no other reason, we ought to be very, very careful about railing against those in authority. Because we are railing then against God's servants. And I think God takes a very dim view of that. But not only are we, to call, are we called to submit to every human institution or authority over us, 
Peter takes it a step further. We're, we're to submit to every human institution and authority, even if they do not manage their authority well or with integrity. That's probably the part that we struggle with the most. Most of us probably don't have a problem, you know, submitting to authority when authority is good and makes good decisions, or at least decisions we agree with. It's, it's when we don't trust them. It's when there are reasons why um, we feel that they're wrong and we ought to do something else. They don't manage their authority well or with integrity. You have to remember who was emperor at the time that Peter writes this letter to his readers. It was Nero. Nero was in power. And Peter tells his readers that they are to submit to the emperor as supreme. And then in verse 17, he says, honor the emperor. What? That can't be. That's got to be a scribal typo, right? That's got to be an error somehow that, that Paul, Peter, excuse me, he, he wouldn't have told us to do that, would he? He did. And he goes further than that. Look at verse 18. It says, servants or slaves, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, that is a gracious thing in the sight of God. You see, in verse 18, Peter speaks directly to household slaves who had converted to Christianity. And they are now a part of the local church. So as this letter is being uh, written and sent to the local church, these slaves would be present and they would hear Paul speaking directly, excuse me, Peter, directly to them. And he tells them this, that they must submit and respect their masters. Even if they are unreasonable or unjust. Thus the, the big idea for this morning's message. We are to submit to every human authority, even when it hurts. The word translated unjust in the ESV is an interesting word in the Greek. And it helps us understand exactly what he meant by it. It's the word scolios. Does that ring a bell with anyone? It's one of those Greek words that comes directly over into the English language and we use it as it is. Scoliosis. Most of you guys know what that is. It's curvature of the spine. Well, the word scolios literally means curved or crooked or bent twisted, perverse. 
It's used in the sense of being harsh and dishonest and unscrupulous and cruel. So when Peter says, not just to the good and gentle, but to those who are scolios, those who are warped and crooked and harsh and cruel, now it begins to take on some weight as we hear Peter's words. Now, some of you may be saying, well, what's Peter doing? Is he promoting slavery? No. He's promoting Christ. And shame on us that 2,000 years later, we can't see that. He's concerned about the gospel and the salvation of those who will hear it. Peter's aim, as was Paul's, was to see the human heart changed. The only way slavery was going to be done away with was, would be one heart at a time. Changing the culture from within by changing the human heart. Peter and Paul encouraged slaves to obey their masters as they would Christ in the hopes that their behavior might dignify the gospel and cause others to be saved. Now, lest you think that this is an isolated passage and, you know, maybe it's, you know, taken out of context or something like that, I want to read some other passages that make it abundantly clear that Peter and Paul, their attitude was the same on this. In the book of Titus, chapter 2, Paul writes, bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Colossians chapter 3, bond servants or slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And then in Ephesians chapter 6, slaves obey your human masters with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. Do God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. And masters, treat your slaves the same way, without threatening them, because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven, and their is no favoritism with him. In our society, hearing these admonitions seems almost unconscionable. It seems almost to feed into the arguments of those not Christian that the Bible is just full with patriotic, misogynistic, 
things that just are so outdated that why do we even bother reading it? And on the surface, it, it, it would seem that what in the world is going on that these two stalwarts of Peter and Paul are encouraging and ordering slaves to submit to their masters even when they're cruel and unjust. How can that possibly be of God? Well, I think that if that's what we think, and I, I believe it, it reveals more to us about ourselves than maybe we care to admit. I think it reveals to us just how me-centered we are. How much everything revolves around us. We value our freedom, our happiness, our rights above all else. Those become, it's the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. That's what we're after. We vote for them. We march for them. We fight for them. We tout our perceived right to privacy, a mother's right to murder her unborn child, the right to love whoever we want, to be any gender that we want. It becomes very, very clear that it's all about us. And it's all about wanting to live our lives the way that we want to live, regardless of God's design for his creation and his will for our lives. No wonder we stumble over passages like this. It doesn't fit the world we want to live in. Peter is telling these Christian slaves that there is something more important than your freedom. There's something more important than your happiness or your rights. And that is the souls of men. And by that I mean in women too. Peter exhorts these slaves to, to remain where they are, as they are, so that everyone in that household, including their masters, might have an opportunity to see and hear the gospel and be saved. That is God's ultimate priority. The salvation of the human race to rescue us and redeem us from the pit of hell in eternal separation from God for all eternity. Paul and Peter are not asking these slaves to do what they aren't willing to do themselves. In fact, uh, in Philippians chapter 1, I love what what Paul, Paul writes about his own imprisonment. imprisonment. Listen, listen, listen to these words. words. He, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What's, What's his priority? Advance <laughs> the, the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers 
having become, become confident in the, in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul didn't see himself as a victim. Then his imprisonment was somehow God being put in a straitjacket, and now he's at the mercy of the Roman government. He saw himself as a prisoner of Christ, exactly where God wanted him to be. And when he understood that and accepted that, he began to see the beauty of it and the gospel being proclaimed throughout the entire imperial guard. Then if you fast forward three chapters later, this is unbelievable. He says in verse 22 of chapter 4, as he closes out his letter to the Philippians, he says, and all the saints greet you. Ready for it? Especially those of Caesar's household. Caesar's household now has believers Christ followers in it. Why? Because Paul says, here I am, send me. Use me however you want to use me. I lay down my rights, my happiness, my desires. Lord, I am yours. Paul saw his imprisonment as the means by which the gospel would permeate not only the Praetorian Guard or the Imperial Guard, but Caesar's own household. So here's the question we need to ask ourselves. How many of us would be willing to endure slavery or imprisonment for the gospel so that others might come to faith in Christ? Can I, Can I be blunt, blunt honest, honest with you? you? I'd, I'd like, like to think that, that I would. But I don't, I don't know. know. Right, right now, now I, I, I don't know. know. I, suppose I suppose God will give, give the grace in the moment. But the, the only, only thing I can look to to help, help me judge whether or not I would, would are, are the things that are happening in my life right now. now. And, and I, I have pause when I see that I have a hissy fit over social distancing guidelines and mask mandates. And I disagree with those in authority over me. I sometimes don't like my response. It may not come out of my mouth, but I feel it so I know it's real. And what is that compared to being a slave? What is, what is that, that compared, compared to being in prison? So maybe before we all raise our hand and say, yes, I, I, I would, maybe we need to ask ourselves, uh, what is our attitude towards authority here and here and here? Am I submitting to authority? Do I have the mind of God? Do I have the heart of Peter and Paul and all of this? Look at what these early Christians were willing to endure for the sake of Christ and for the sake of others. No wonder they changed the world. 
As, As I, I mentioned, mentioned earlier, submission, submission to authority finds application in a great many spheres of life, from, from government to law enforcement, from, from the military to the marketplace, and even within the family. And I'm, and I'm just going to jump ahead one verse this morning, because uh, next week I'm going I'm I'm to dig into this verse and the verses that follow. Um, but I want you to see 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Peter writes, likewise, remember it's connected now to what we just read about slaves and masters, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So, so that, that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. See, Peter's using the same argument that he used in the slave-master relationship. You've been injected into this relationship for a reason, for a purpose. And, and a wife's willing submission to her husband is a powerful tool in the hands of God to bring about obedience to the faith. I, I, I wanted you, and I, I need you to be able to see that. that, that you know, Peter, when he starts in verse 13, he says, you know, we're to submit to all, every human authority. He says, oh yeah, that includes governors, and that includes, you know, the emperor himself. It includes slaves and masters, oh yeah, and wives to their husbands. God is wanting to bring about his purposes through us. So this, so this leads me to, to the, the second question, question is, why do we do it? Well, it, it should be obvious to us, but why, why do we choose to submit to human authority? Well, very clearly, as I've already stated, we do it for the sake of others. So, so, so that they might see Jesus, that they too might be saved. But we also do it primarily for the Lord's sake. Do you see that in verse 13? Be subject for the, for the Lord's sake, to, to every human institution. institution. The best motivation for submitting to those in authority is for the Lord's sake. It's, it's to honor him. him. It's, it's to, to bring, bring glory to him in his name. And when, when we respect the authority that he has ordained and put over us, we are respecting his authority over our lives as well. Everything we do ought to be for the glory of God and the good of others. Submitting to the authorities is also a test of our love for God. Wasn't it Jesus who said that if you love me, you will keep my commandments? You want to know, do you really love Christ? Do you obey him? I'm not, I'm not saying, saying we, we do it perfectly, but there, is, is there at least evidence in our lives that, that, that we are being transformed from glory to glory, that, that we are endeavoring to obey him, and when we fail, and God puts his finger on it, and the Holy Spirit convicts us, that we confess our sin, we repent of our sin, and we say, God, help me not to do that again. Help me to follow you. Help me to obey you. I love what Elizabeth Elliot 
said, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Elizabeth Dowd. She was married to Jim Elliott, missionaries uh, down in South America, and um, amazing story uh, of, of self-sacrifice. But she said this, when it, when it comes to loving God and obedience, she says, until the will and the affections are brought under the authority of Christ, we have not begun to understand, let alone to accept his lordship. Until the will and the affections are brought under the authority of Christ, we haven't even begun to understand the lordship of Christ. So we do it for the sake of others, we do it for the sake of the Lord, but we also do it to silence those who are ignorant. Look at verse 15. It says, it says, for this is the will of God, that, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. You see, as sojourners and exiles, we might be tempted to think we don't have to submit to earthly authority. After all, our citizenship is in heaven, right? I mean, we belong to another kingdom. We serve another king. So we can use that as an excuse until, Until we, we read the passages where we're commanded to submit to all earthly authority. That's the clear teaching of Scripture. And as Christians, we have a greater obligation than non-Christians. Why? Because Christians represent Christ in the world. We're to be a living, breathing, walking advertisement of the Lord Jesus to other people. The unsaved world is watching. They're looking to see, do we really believe what we say we believe? Now, if I were to ask you, what's the greatest argument or, or the objection that the world has uh, about the church? What would it be? Hypocrites. That's it. I hear it all the time. The church is just full of hypocrites. Well, they're right. The, the, the world, world is full of hypocrites, too. too. I'd, I'd rather, rather have, have the hypocrites in church trying to lose their hypocrisy than, than keeping it out in the world. But that, that being said, yes, let's, let's face it. Um, you, know, you know, you and I, Christians, uh, we don't have a stellar uh, reputation. We don't, we don't have, have a lot of credibility with, with Christians. Christians. They, uh, excuse me, with, uh, with non-Christians. They, they, they turn on the TV, they see the charlatans on the TV, right? And they, they kind, kind of lump us all together. together. They, 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 they see, see the Christians, you know, with the bumper stickers driving like a bat out of hell. They, they, they hear. They, they hear Christian parents at ballgames. Okay? The world has come to expect that Christians are just as rude, just as dishonest, and just as... Immoral as they are. So why in the world do they need to be in the church? No thanks. thanks. I'm, I'm doing quite, quite well by myself. Um, that, that's the world in which we live. What they need to see is you and I living qualitatively better lives than they do. They need to see us loving one another as Christ has loved us. They need to see us forbearing and putting up with one another. They need to see us forgiving one another. They need to see us serving one another. Our willing 
and, and humble submission to authority prevents unbelievers from having a credible accusation against us as rebellious and insolent people. We must never use our freedom in Christ to live disrespectful, disobedient lives. Please don't give the world the ammunition in which to shoot us with. That's why Peter writes in verse 16, he says this, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Paul says something similar in Galatians chapter 5. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You see, see, we we don't don't use our freedom to the detriment detriment of others. We We don't don't demand or assert our rights because we can. Paul wrote, said, all things are lawful, but all things are not profitable. All things are not beneficial. When the world sees us living with integrity and using our freedom to love and serve one another, Living under the same laws that they have to live under, not begrudgingly, but willingly. Maybe then they will listen to what we have to say. Our words and our behavior will either repel or attract people to Jesus. It's that simple. For all of these reasons and many more, we are to submit to all human authority, even when it hurts. So how do we do it? Last question. How do we submit to those in authority when it hurts? I think verse 19 gives us a clue. Peter writes, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This This is is a gracious thing in the the sight sight of God. Twice in these verses we are told it is a gracious thing. Other Other translations uh, say that this finds favor with God, or it is commendable, or God is pleased. The idea here is that God is pleased when we suffer for doing good, not when we suffer for doing bad or evil. In In fact, fact, uh, verse 14 14 in chapter 3, Peter Peter makes it very, very clear when he says, but but even even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. You You get get no brownie points for suffering for doing something stupid. You don't. don't. But But we are commended by God God when when we suffer for doing good. So so how how do we do do that? that? Again, Again, I think think the text text tells us by being mindful of God. By being being mindful of God. God, We can endure unjust suffering when we are mindful or some translations say conscious of God. Meaning that we are mindful of and conscious of his presence in our life and his 
sovereignty over our life and his never failing care of us. We can endure injustice and cruelty when we are confident that God will one day repay. When there will come a day when we will receive our reward for all that we have suffered in this life for his sake and for the gospel's sake. See, that's that's one one of the hopes that we have as Christians is that God can redeem all the junk, all the pain, all the messiness of this life. I like the New Living Translation of verse 19. It says, For God is pleased when, conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. And then perhaps the thing that hit me the hardest as I was looking at this passage is that we, we not only do it because we're mindful of God, but we do it by understanding that the Christian life is a call to suffering. Now, I don't suggest that when you're talking to a non-Christian and you would like to lead them to Christ, that you lead with that, okay? Um, that, that, that's, that's a hard one. But at, but at the, the same, same time, we shouldn't paint a rosy picture of what, what it means to follow Jesus when it's anything but rosy. I remember not too long ago, I think Vic, you and I were talking about this the other day, the, the four spiritual laws. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, in the minds of most people, wonderful does not include suffering. Wonderful means wonderful. It means good, happy, healthy, wealthy, wise, all of that. And, and believe me, it is wonderful to know Jesus and to have him living within. But wonderful does not mean no pain, no suffering, no heartache, no hardship. Verse 21. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Peter is under no illusion that submission is going to be easy. So he reminds them of their calling. He reminds them that they have been called to suffer, to follow in Christ's footsteps. This is so hard for us in our culture. It's, it's so, so hard, hard for us to grasp because, because we face so little in the way of persecution. And, and the, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that is so pervasive in our, our culture makes it even that much harder. Because we believe that in coming to Christ, the, you know, everything should come up peachy, rosy, wonderful. A lot of modern theology here in, in North America is antithetical to biblical teaching, especially the biblical teaching of suffering. We need to remember something. Now, this is, this is like elementary, but you have to state it again. We have to remember that being a Christ follower means you follow Christ. I know that should be self-evident, right? But, 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 but think, think about, about it with, with me for a minute. minute. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 16, if, if anyone would come after me, let him what? Deny himself, 
pick up his cross and follow me. What was the cross used for? Crucifixion. Death. Where did Jesus go with his cross? To Golgotha. To Calvary. He went to die and he's telling his followers, you want to follow me, you have to die to self. You have to pick up your instrument of death and you have to follow me to where I am going. Now God doesn't summon all of us to give up our lives. Sometimes living for Jesus, I think, can be tougher than dying for Jesus. But nonetheless, that's where he's going. And I think about something else, uh, an interaction that Jesus had in Matthew chapter 8 with a scribe who basically said, Lord, I want to follow you. Hey, hey, he, he, he says, says, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said this to him. He said, foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus is saying, do you really understand what you're saying? You're telling me you're willing to follow me wherever I go. Do you understand I don't even have a home? I don't, I don't have, have a bed, bed or, or a pillow on which to lay my head. If you follow me, that's the life you will have. We follow Christ wherever he leads. And we follow his example of suffering. Jesus did not come to give us a wonderful life. He came to give us eternal life. He came to save us from our sins and to conform us to the image of himself. The Christian life is not about happiness or comfort. It's not about being blessed. It's about being a blessing. And it's about being more like Jesus. He is the perfect picture of what willing submission looks like, both in life and in death. It's fitting, in my opinion, that this chapter ends with verses 24 and 25. Peter continues and he says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you have been healed. For you, For you were straying like sheep, but, but now have returned, returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Folks, this, this is what Christ's willing submission to the Father and even to Pilate. This is what his willing submission brought about. His death and our redemption. Oscar Wilde was right when he said, wherever there is a man exercising authority, there is a man who resists it. But let not the latter be said of us. We are called to follow Jesus' example and to submit to every human authority that God has established. There may come a time when our allegiance to God will require us to resist human authority. 
but it is clear from Scripture that God's will is for us to submit to every human institution or authority he has put in place for his glory and for our good. May God grant us the desire and the strength to obey, even when it hurts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us. Lord, we thank you that you shoot straight with us. You don't pull punches. You don't mask truth. You don't water it down. Because, Lord, we need to hear the truth. And, Lord, I confess that I fall so far short of your standard for my life, for your will for my life. But I do desire, as I am sure that Many, Many people, people here this morning, morning do as well. We, we do desire to honor you, to, to obey you, to love you. And so, so Lord, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just do a deep work in all of our hearts to make us more like Jesus. Be pleased with our thoughts and our attitudes and our actions and the words that fall from our mouths. And may you receive all the glory even as you further your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name.